good day to you and your soccer fans. The Women's World Cup is in full swing down under in Australia and New Zealand. We will catch you up on how top teams like the USA have fared thus far. And plus, it is a good opportunity to talk about the latest news in the transfer world, including two of the biggest strikers right now. We will cover all this and more on the supporter section. Grab your stars. We start right now. Well, welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter, and this is episode 74 of the supporter section podcast. And welcome back, everybody. We've returned from our summer break of sorts and are so happy to have you tuned in with us today. I have my two great friends and soccer aficionados here with me, Brandon Patesnick and Stephen Curl. Guys, it is so good to have all three of us back together in the studio. And I just want to say, what are we wearing today, Steve? Get us started. What's on your chest right now? Uh, yes, um, in accordance with what's going on with the World Cup, I'm sporting a U.S. jersey. It's a Weston McKinney jersey on the back. Um, but yeah, supporting the U.S., making it through the round of 16, getting out of that group. Brandon, what's on your chest today? This is the Germany long sleeve away kit from, it's the men's away kit from this World Cup in Qatar. Um, the women's have actually, I think they're better than the men's. They have the same white and black stripe one. And then their other one, I forget what it looks like. I think it's like green, isn't it? It's like green and black. It's like green and black. And from the top, it's supposed to mimic like the forests of Germany is the idea. Yeah. It looks really good. They have some really good kits. A lot of really good kits in this Women's World Cup. Um, some I'm still waiting to see, like Spain's. Um, but yeah, I'm rocking Germany tonight. And to plug another channel on YouTube, the Kit Breakdown, they always do great stuff about all the kits. They just did their Women's World Cup one. Check it out. Um, I've got my 1920 Tottenham away kit. I could have worn a national team jersey, um, but today I was just feeling... I was feeling Spurs today. You're feeling different. <laughs> yeah, always have to stand out in the crowd. But also wanted to briefly say... It just feels good to be back, doesn't it, guys? Oh, my God. I, I, I was, Someone needed to say it. I'm so glad we're back. It's nice to see both of you again. I think the last time we came together was just Cole and I. So, Steve, really glad to have you back. And I'm ready. I'm very excited to talk about the Women's World Cup. Well, let's go ahead and dive on. And let's give you a brief breakdown of what happened in the previous World Cup. We had a final that was contested between the United States and the Netherlands. The U.S. went on to go 2-0 over the Dutch. Um, earning their second and fourth overall Women's World Cup title with second-half goals scored by co-captain Megan Rapino from the penalty spot and Rose Ravel. So with that victory, the U.S. joined Germany as the second team to win consecutive titles. Um, the team's coach, Jill Ellis, at the time became the first manager to win two World Cup titles and also the first in 81 years since Vittorio Pozzo achieved that result in 1934 and 1938 with the Italian men's team. Um, at that point, each finalist was a reigning champion of their own respective confederation, with the U.S. having won the 2018 CONCACAF Women's Championship and the Dutch having won um, the UEFA Women's Euro in 2017. Um, at that point, the U.S. was led by uh, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino. We just cruised through the group stage. If you guys remember that 13-0 defeat of Thailand, just a goal parade. Um, but we were tested by world-class opposition like Spain, France, and England knockout rounds. The Americans found their way, scoring early in each match and withstanding everything their opponents had to throw at them. And obviously, when it came to that final hurdle, the U.S. women's national team lived up to the reputation of being world beaters and took care of the Dutch thanks to like those performances we talked about with Rapino and Rose Lavelle. Wagner Rapino did win the Golden Boot as well, um, scoring six goals in 2019 
Um, and Alex Morgan and England's Ellen White all finished tied on six goals um, and Rapino and Morgan being tied on assist. So guys, that was the last World Cup. That was four years ago, back in 2019. We've had a lot has happened. A lot of those players have aged. Things have changed in the Women's World Cup landscape. We've added more teams to this World Cup. So let's go ahead and get started as we've been through the group stage. Who are our favorites moving forward from this point in the Women's World Cup? Brandon, I'll start with you. I know we didn't get to talk about this when you know before it actually started, but Spain, I think, was my favorite coming in. Even though they've had some controversy within their federation within the past, I think, like two years with their coaching staff and whatnot, um, I was expecting – I mean, the team has a lot of skill. They have, I think, the best female player in the world. Um, and, they, I mean, they're just known for, for football, right? So I was expecting big things from them, and they really, really did show up. So they were my favorite coming into the tournament. I think I'm going to stick with them going forward as well. They've shown a lot of strength, but their last game against Japan did show that they were far from perfect, losing 4 nothing. Japan's really good, by the way. Um, they're currently plus 400. Spain is to win the whole thing. So pretty decent odds. I think they're shared for the top best odds. Um, but I will say, like I said, the fact that they didn't even score against Japan does make me worried that they won't be able to break down like a Germany or an England or even like the U.S.'s defense. And they might not even be able to handle the attack. Their defense might not be able to handle the attack of a Norway or Germany. So a little, little worried for that, but they look so good. I love the way they play football, and I'm, I'm going to stick with them. Steven, over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going for the U.S., the USA. I know what you're saying, not really convincing performances. Going into the tournament, though, my money was on this U.S. team, even with uh, the big omissions off this team because of injury, like Tobin Heath, who is my favorite player, uh, who's sitting out right now due to physical and uh, mental reasons that she told The Athletic. Uh, Christian Press, injury, Carly Lloyd, retired. Um, Mallory Swanson, injury, Sam Mewis, uh, Becky Sauburn, injury. It's like the list goes on and on of first-team players that have had an impact over these past two World Cup cycles. Um, and it may just be that the U.S. women's reputation just got the best of my emotions with this pick, but I, I still think that they can do it. Uh, they're not the favorite so far, at least looking at these first three games that they played. Um, but they're going for a three-peat, which that means they've won the past two World Cups. So I cannot pick the favorites going into this tournament. Um, you know, I'm just going to lean on the leadership of the core players of the team that did make it uh, over to New Zealand and Australia for this World Cup, being the Julie Ertz, the Kelly O'Hara's, uh, Lindsay Horan. I think you've already been able to see um, what these core players can provide. Alex Morgan, waiting for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's these players have been here before over these past um, 10 years or so, and they've done it on the biggest stage under pressure. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a team that has advanced uh, past the group stage. So you're where you want to be. B, maybe not where you wanted to finish in the group, but I still remain optimistic, unlike my fellow Tottenham Hotspurs that I love so much. Not about them. Uh, but yeah, I still got my money on the U.S. I think they can figure it out. Hopefully this was the kick in the butt that they needed uh, to get back on track. Yeah, it's hard not to look at the U.S. and just think about how much talent they still have. You compare them to a lot of these teams, especially a lot of the newcomers, and the, the talent gap is just so much wider when you add these more new teams, but they still have great talent. I mean, you still have, um, what? You still have Rapino, you still have Morgan. Those leadership, like you mentioned, are still there. 
Um, but there's still so many great players that are going to be leading your team through. Um, I have no doubts about this team being able to get to at least the final. Um, obviously, anything can happen in the final. You play great teams like the Netherlands last time, Sweden a couple of years ago. You might even see Japan again. We took care of them in 20, what was I guess that's 15. Um, so we'll see what they can do again. I think Rose Lavelle being out in the next round of 16 will be um, a bit tough. She's a lot of that creative engine in the midfield. Um, we'll see what they can do without her, but I still have no doubts the U.S. can take care of business um, in this World Cup in 2023. Some of the top players so far, though, we've seen Hanada Miyazawa from Japan. She already has four goals in three games played. Um, the Netherlands, Jill Roard has three game, or three goals in three games as well. Um, and Lauren James from England also getting three goals. I want to say she's also the sister of Reese James, if I'm not mistaken. She is. She definitely uh, is. So it's kind of cool to see the two of those um, getting their chance to star for their national teams. Um, I know Reese has been in the U.S. on the national team or on the tour um, abroad with Chelsea's team. So it's been hard for him to actually watch um, his sister play, but a good opportunity for them to um, shine bright on the stage. Two of the biggest games I think we've seen so far have included the aforementioned Japan. They dismantled Spain 4-0. to um, Brandon, anything from that one that kind of stuck out to you? Yeah, Spain just looked way slower. Like Japan countered very, very well against the Spain defense and just looked like they were planning to do that the whole game. I think two or three of their goals came that way. Um, Japan's the real deal. They 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 are really good. I think they've scored the most goals in the tournament, if I'm not mistaken, and haven't let up a goal. Is that right, Steve? Yep, zero goals conceded. So this Japanese team is really good, but shocking that they beat Spain 4-0, I will say. That's that's maybe the biggest upset, like shocker so far, but then you have the hosts. Yeah, yeah, getting it done without Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr still hasn't seen the field in the three games that Australia has played. Um, she's had a calf injury that she's been nursing, and so now that they've seen their way through the group stage, they should be able to get her involved moving forward the round of 16, hopefully. Um, but yeah, 4-0 against defending Olympic champion gold medalist Canada, who now have seen their flights booked back home early. Um, yeah, Rosso getting two goals in the first half. Fowler and Catley adding things on. Um, an embarrassing display from Canada. Um, we'll talk about them more in a second. Um, but other ones, you see so many goals getting scored. Uh, the Netherlands putting up seven against Vietnam. England, six against China, Norway, six against the Philippines, Sweden completely shutting out Italy by five goals to nil. Um, so we've seen some huge victories that um, definitely display all these teams that have a lot of firepower. The ones that have been here before showing that they are not to be trifled with. And these are teams that the U.S. especially will be looking at down the road who we might have to run into and how we can begin to think about handling them and these knockout stages. Um, but as I said, the biggest upsets, the most surprising team so far that we might even knock down would be who? Brandon, I'll start with you. I have really enjoyed Nigeria. I've been really, really impressed with them. They came in fourth in their Africa Cup of Nations behind South Africa, Morocco, and Zambia, who are all um, playing in this World Cup. Um, you can tell that wasn't good enough for them because they have touched this stage with much more fire. Um, they are fun. They are fast. They're very creative. And they have a lot of fight. Um, so what's not to like about that? Um, and they, I mean, they wear it on them. They're, they're, they're so strong and they're so good. And they might have the best pair of jerseys in the tournament. Maybe? Always showing um, out Nigeria. <laughs> some, some really good kits from Nike there. Um, 
but beating Australia three to two is definitely their highlight of the tournament so far. Um, beating the host, it was a really good game actually. So go watch, go back and watch it if you haven't. Um, they're also undefeated going into the round of sixteen. I think they might have topped the group. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I also want to highlight their best player, Asisat Osheola. She's a striker for Barcelona. Um, her honors feature Champions League title, three African championships for Nigeria, back-to-back titles in China, uh, a Women's FA Cup in 2016 with Arsenal. She won BBC Women's Football of the Year in 2015 with Liverpool. So she's stacked. She's really good. She loves the game, and, and she's she's going to lead this team forward if, if they have a chance of moving on from 16th, round of 16 into quarter semis, whatever. Um, fun fact again about Nigeria, though, they've been to every Women's World Cup since 1991, but only once have reached the quarterfinals. So I think this 28-year-old Osheola is going to be the difference for them if they're going to get there again. That's a good word. That's a good word. Moving on, Steve, who do you got? Man, I'm going to be talking about Mina Tanaka and Japanese company. Goodness gracious, they got – we talked on it earlier. They're perfect. They're 3-0. and They've won all three games in their group stage. They have not let up any goals, and they have scored 11 goals, uh, most in the tournament right now. And they came into this tournament. FIFA Club uh, – FIFA World Rankings right now have Japan at number 11 in the world. So maybe not quite an underdog, but outside looking in, definitely if you were to ask most people on uh, picking favorites before the tournament started, Japan probably wasn't on most people's list. Uh, just talking about that 4-0 win over Spain is a clear indication of what they bring to the table. So that's easily my biggest surprise. Um the U.S. has a high probable chance of facing them if we end up moving against uh, and moving past Sweden in the round of 16. So that's going to be a game uh, that's, you know, we got to make it there first. But um, that's going to be a wild game to watch um, if that does take place. But another shout that I wanted to give is to the reggae girls of the Caribbean, the Jamaican team um, coming in to this tournament ranked worldwide at number 43 um according to fifa what did they do in their first world cup game this year oh they just drew against france uh they got a point a result uh against france which is absolutely wild he's ranked number five in the world um and then after that they took care of business against panama winning uh their second game and going into their third game against brazil who's ranked number four in the world they have a chance with a draw, just a draw, against Brazil to knock Brazil out of the World Cup and advance to the round of 16. That's insane. And if they win, they could top the group. Uh, that's just absolutely wild to me. Um, this is why you love international tournaments, more specifically the best one, the World Cup, uh, to see a team ranked 43rd in the world take out a team ranked fourth um, who's played pretty well this tournament. Brazil's had some cool, fun flair, some cool goals, and they look good. So it's going to be a tall order. By no means are Jamaica the favorites going to this game, but when you just need a draw, uh, some, some fun things can happen. So keep your eyes out for Jamaica to pull off a huge upset. Yeah, that's awesome. Love hearing about the underdogs pulling through, especially the ones like Jamaica. Um, for me, I touched on it earlier, just going to briefly mention again, is Canada being knocked out early is my big surprise. Tokyo Olympic gold winners had a very poor showing in 23. Um, coming in, there was a little bit of controversy surrounding them. The Canadian Federation 
had so many financial woes to sort out. Um, and things are just are looking bleak for the Federation, particularly the women's side um, in regards to equal pay, um, the players, the coaching staff, everything has just sort of been a mess. And now they have early tickets back to Canada. Um, certainly was not their goals coming in. This is a team that's shown to be strong in the past um, and really fell flat short in New Zealand and Australia in 2023. But the U.S. women's national team, they have a route to the finals. They can find a hold on their form. They did start out things um, pretty well with the 3-0 win over Vietnam. We saw Sophia Smith start to make a name for herself on the international stage. This is her first World Cup. She had two goals. One came to the 14th minute and the second one in extra time of the first half. And Lindsay Horan has shown to be a big, big piece for this U.S. women's national team. She got a goal in the 77th minute. Um, but guys, I think the one that's really important was the goal that she got against the Dutch in the 62nd minute. That one was to draw level and make it a 1-1 game against the Netherlands. And then we saw last night, deep, deep into the morning at 3 a.m., a scoreless draw was pivotal in some ways, um, but maybe is the writing on the wall. Potentially, we'll talk about that in a second um, of what we might come to expect. This is the first time ever the women's team has not won at least two group stage games in the World Cup. So I want to know, guys, let's just go ahead and think. How are we feeling about the broad view after three games into this World Cup about the women's national team chances to lift the trophy? Steven, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, I'll be a little bit brief because I've already talked about them a little bit, but um, not great. Uh, <laughs> I'm really resting on our laurels here of being the champions of the last two World Cups, but I think uh, it's it's not looking great right now for the U.S. Women's National Team, even when advancing to the round of 16. Uh, Julie Ertz even said the last um, after the last match against Portugal that um, being asked if this felt like three points dropped, she said, yes, absolutely. Um, we need to be able to put three, four goals in the back of the net. And they just aren't. So um, so I'm nervous. I'm definitely nervous. I'm not as confident as I've been in years past watching this team play. Um, but, I mean, we have talent and we're deep. So it's that's also what I rest on. Experience, young players like Sophia Smith. So... I'm I'm feeling like a like a slight thumbs up very slightly towards this US women's national team headed into their match versus Sweden. Brandon, what's your gut reaction so far? Um I think we're lucky to get out of the group, to be honest. It was a, a favorable um post bounce <laughs> from from being, you know, uh us being knocked out in the group, which I don't know if that's ever happened. So, um, Portugal almost had us. Um, and if I would have woke up to the U S women's national team losing to Portugal, oh my God, I Twitter would have had a field day. Let's just say that. Um, Oh God. So yeah, yeah, I just, sorry, X, do I need to call it X now? Sorry. (laughs) Um, so I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with them. Um, I think I think they're competitive at least, right? I don't think they just I don't think they look awful. They're competitive. Um we only gave up a goal, so that's another good thing. Like the defense was one of the things we should have been worried about coming into the World Cup. They've withstood, right? Everything basically. Two good teams in in the Netherlands and Portugal. So uh, we just need to to find the back of the net like you said, Steve. Um and that's where our best players are, I think. 
Um, you have Alex Morgan who needs to put the ball in the back of the net. I'm just worried when we if we get you know against Sweden, it it could happen in this next round. Like our chances might be few, so we really need to capitalize. Sophia Smith's gonna come up big, I think, and I'm yeah, I'm I'm really hoping Rose Lavelle, us missing Rose Lavelle, doesn't come back and kill us. So I'm worried yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, how do you gauge Brandon on the side of the media? Do you feel like you know, all those people that have been in the World Cup before, people that have been following for a while, do you think that they're thinking it's all doom and gloom thus far? Yeah, people are jumping on the team. Um, and it's sort of like previous players too, which I don't know if there's something there, you know, like as they were being phased out and this new era was sort of being phased in, if like there was a weird tension. Um, it's a different coach too. Um, like you, you, Jill Ellis, that's her name, I think, mm-hmm. um, is no longer the U.S. Women's National Team coach. So, you know, it's sort of like a new era for, for this team. Um, I think it's fair to, to put criticism on this team because I think we, we're all seeing it. They're, they're competing, but they're not to the level that, that is expected of them. So I think it's good to have these high expectations. Um, what I will say is we did not go out, so we're in the next round. Um, there, there's a chance. There's a chance for the U.S. to turn it around. Um I'm just not very optimistic. I, I do not think we have it in the bag. Some play, players really need to step up and start producing. Um, I can go through a list, but I'm not. I'm going to be optimistic and say we really need Alex Morgan, Sophia Smith, Lindsey Horan, and Rose Lavelle to drag us to another uh, title. That if, if It's, it's going to have to be those four or a combination of, of some of them because – the other uh, the other people are going to do their job, but they're not going to win it for us, right? So it's going to be two of those four players, all four of those players combining to to really get us there. I believe they can. I believe they can. Maybe that's blind optimism, but I, I think they can do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's fair, all the criticism that they're getting right now. It was not good enough, the group stage. Not good. Yeah, Steve, what's been like a weak point or something that you'd want to point out on top of what Baron's talking about? Yeah, I mean, besides not scoring goals, um, I mean, to me, criticizing the head coach Flacco, um, he hasn't been really using those substitutes the way that we thought that, like, the media is crying out towards it. U.S. soccer fans are crying out for him to sub Megan Rapino on and chasing a game against the Netherlands who can make something happen. Um, and a lot of unused substitutions where Jill Ellis actually had a philosophy of never having an unused substitution with this U S women's national team. And when your players are looking really leggy out on the field, playing some really in high intense games, that's when you need to draw on the depth of this U S women's national team. Um, we have a lot of it. And so to not use it seems a little bit silly, but the players in the field have to be good enough in the first place as well. Um, not to pick on, Alex Morgan, I mean, she scored a goal offsides and even had a chance at the beginning of this last game against Portugal. Um, but yeah, to me, it's it's the fight and the grit, though, honestly, if I were to put um, to one thing that I'd like to see more out of this U.S. Women's National Team. I saw it in a glimpse of uh, Rose Lavelle getting her first yellow card um, against Netherlands. You started to see kind of the the team respond to that and Lindsay Horan getting into it with the, with the Dutch as well. And then coming back and scoring an amazing header. Um, it's moments like that, that I'm looking for. And at the end of this last game, it was 
it was the whole the whole game was bad in my opinion collectively portugal looked like the better team on the night had over 100 more passes had like 60 percent possession um and they had the best chance of the night that we mentioned earlier uh was the the post if it weren't for that post the u.s women's national team would be in even bigger headlines right now so uh but one thing that i do think will carry this team through this tournament is that experience uh kelly o'hara uh georgia born what what um taking the team to the touchline at the end of the game circling them up just screaming i don't know what about like let's move this on uh she's really just displaying her leadership uh being to multiple world cups and i thought it was interesting it's not the coach um that's doing that you're not really seeing a lot of emotion out of Vlatko right now it's it's got to be from the players i guess i don't know if that's strategic of he wants to see a reaction out of the team. So uh, I don't know. Carly Lloyd had a few choice words for the U.S. Women's National Team, saying that she's never seen – she was reacting live to images of them dancing, taking selfies with fans and uh, family and whatnot. And I'll, I'll read the quote. She said, I've never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between being respectful of the fans – talk about the ones who are traveling out there to see them um, – and saying hello to your family, but to be dancing and smiling – um the player of the match was the post uh you are lucky not to be going home right now so uh, i think there's a balance of not being too doom and gloom but being self-aware so you can make those uh changes and i think this team will be okay um hopefully this was uh the wake-up call the next match is on sunday at 5 a.m so i think that's enough time for the to uh to kind of bounce back at their heads right and just all right group stage was behind us bad dream let's win a world cup yeah uh well we talked about all the hard stuff the things that are going to be you know have happened already but if we're going to look forward to the people that we're going to lean on in this tournament brandon i'll start with you who we're going to lean on moving forward the rest of this world Men's world cup yeah i mean i sort of jumped the gun on this question already but um sophia smith and alex morgan are going to need to combine to score some goals up top um sophia smith uh Pick number one by the Portland Thorns. Um, she was the league MVP last year. Um, she won a championship with the Thorns. She scored the first goal. I mean, she, she's she was a championship MVP. She's she's an amazing player. She's the next era of U.S. Women's National Team greats. Um, and she needs to combine with the one that's sort of phasing out, and that's Alex Morgan. Um famous for her tea drinking celebration, all of that. Like we need that energy and we need, we need yeah. to put balls in the back of the net. It's going to have to come from them. Um, if it's just them, you know, I, I, Haran's going to get in the mix. We know that she, that's just how she plays. She plays all over the field. I don't know what position, honest to God, I don't know what position Lindsay Haran plays for the U S women's national team. Cause it seems like she's all over the pitch. She's she plays here. She's, there. she's, very freaking she's everywhere. Yeah. She's everywhere. Um, so she, I already know she's going to be fine, but we really need some, some production of Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan. Also another player. Um, oh shoot. What's her name? Trinity Rodman. That's her name, which she is Dennis Rodman's daughter, by the way, which I found out, which is crazy. She's sitting there on the wing and not producing. She's supposed to be electric. I know she's great, but she hasn't done it yet. I, I'm waiting for her to pop off. I, I still believe in her sort of. She really needs to have a good game against Sweden. Hopefully she'll start, but really needs to start producing. Um, 
Yeah, just I know I keep saying it. Scoring goals. We need some goals. So Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan, I'm looking at you. Yeah, and talking about Trin- Trinity Raman, one piece of move she had that was good, but it was just slightly late in that offside goal that Alex Morgan had. Even Alex's finish was nice on the outside of the boot. Obviously, just that much offside to so not let it count. But there are glimpses. There are glimpses that she can be productive, Trinity Raman, but um, we'll see what she can come up with in round of 16. She might still be able to be a hero for this women's team moving forward. Well, let's move on from the Women's World Cup onto our transfer talk. And we've had a little bit of this discussion last time we were on here last month. But Steve, since we have you here today, we've had news all throughout the summer about big name players making the move to Saudi Arabia. The Saudi takeover has been happening, the mass exodus of high level players of Saudi Arabia. Most recently, we've seen the likes of Sadio Mane and Jordan Henderson this week join the Saudi Arabian clubs. And most notably, of course, this summer was Kareem Benzema and Angola Conte, Steve. So I need to know from you, is the Saudi League a long-term competitor amongst the top leagues, and how are you finding this mass exodus of players of Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I think we've had the same attitude towards the Saudi Arabia probably over the past three, four years, kind of like the Chinese Super League. Uh, maybe one player goes to the league, gets a huge paycheck, and we just kind of not don't really think about it. Um but we have to pay attention after this summer. This summer has absolutely been insane. There is so much spending going on in the Saudi Arabian Pro League. To which your question about a long-term competitor, I mean, obviously, they're nowhere at the level now. But if they're investing this much money on players that a lot of teams and the Premier League would like to have. As a Tottenham fan, give me Sadio Mane. I want Kareem Benzema. You know, if Real Madrid could have another year of Kareem Benzema, I'm sure they would take him as well. So... Um, as much as we like to think that players have this kind of desire to keep winning and winning and winning money also talks, which has kind of been a little bit disappointing for me, um, as, as a fan, um, it, something to take note too, is a lot of these players are over 30 years old who are moving to Saudi Arabia. Um, we've heard rumors about the comical amount of money that Kylian Mbappe has been offered to join the Saudi league. Uh, we saw Messi choose uh, MLS over the Saudi Arabian League as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's really weird because I'm starting to think more and more like in five years time, if the spending is still there and the investment is still there and Saudi Arabia, these football owners have more money than any other football owners in the world. Like, like not even close. I think Newcastle's owners are more rich than every other team in the Premier League putting their finances combined. So it's not a question of money. It's a question of spending. We're seeing it this this past summer. Um, and who knows, maybe in 10 years' time, we're talking about Saudi Arabia maybe breaking into that. Maybe they're at the level of the Portuguese League or maybe they're at the level of the Dutch League. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's It's really crazy to see the amount of money that's going um that's coming out of of the united arab emirates and uh the middle east to to, into taking stars not washed up players but stars um from these top five leagues in europe so it's absolutely wild i personally don't like it um but who knows i mean i'm sure a lot of fans hate the premier league because of the exact same thing the amount of money spent attracting all the players why should they have all the fun? I'm sure that's what Saudi Arabia is thinking. And so they're not going to feel bad about it. They're just going to keep buying world-class players to get eyes on their league. So in some way, 
I'm kind of like kudos to y'all, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. You can ask even someone like Javier Tebas, the president of La Liga, and he's been crying lyrically about you know the Premier League buying up the best players in the world and stuff. And now it's happening in a sort of similar fashion. I think the most controversial ones so far this week have been uh, Sadio Mane, a guy who's had a great career at Liverpool for so long and had one kind of shifty year at Bayern Munich, and suddenly he's being shipped off to Al Nasir. Um, and then you look at someone like Jordan Henderson on the other side of the spectrum as far as maybe not football ability, but more so the human rights part. He's been someone that's been so outspoken about you know, the LGBT community being someone that stands up for pride, wearing the armband during the World Cup, all these different things. And then suddenly money starts to begin to talk a lot louder than anything that he said before. And it just, it's been interesting to see those things play out. Um, obviously, you know, people are looking to their futures for their families. And, you know, this term that's being thrown around a lot has been this idea of generational wealth and players are changing the lives of so many people around them. And, you know, Sonia Mane has already done so much back at home with his families. Um, and, you know, this might even be a bigger move for him, but, at the end of the day, you have to look at it from all these different angles and you do have to be critical. You have to criticize, you know, it's not the best for the sport. This sports washing endeavor that Saudi Arabia has been going on with, with soccer. And now you involved with golf and you look at other things that they're trying to invest in and change where it's really, you know, it's not the healthiest thing. It's hard to compete for lower league teams. It's hard to compete for even teams breaking through in the premier league. You look at like someone like Nottingham forest, the Burnley's, um, teams like that where they can't compete trying to spend 35 million, 50 million, 80 million, 300 million for someone like an Mbappe, Messi, whoever you want to talk about. Um, so yeah, it's not going to be sustainable. It's sustainable for the Saudi Ravens because their bank is practically limitless. Right. Um, but I have to say it's just continuing to be more troublesome and we'll see how it affects the likes of UEFA. What are they going to do um, about the involvement of Saudi Arabia in the future? Are they going to say, you know, completely axing them from any availability in the Champions League. We see Saudi Arabia try to create their own Champions League completely. Um, these are things that we have to keep an eye on because moving forward, things are going to get quite tricky. Um, I know that to be sure. Brandon, anything you want to add on the Saudi Arabian transfer rumors? Um, I'll just say from, I mean, the rumors have been crazy and the things that have happened are absolutely crazy. The thing that really shocked me, uh, I'm here in Columbus, Ohio. Lucas Delarayon, Columbus Crew's best player, just got a massive payday. I think he went to Saudi Arabia, I'm pretty sure. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know how much of a massive step down that is from the MLS to the Saudi Pro League? Yeah. You know, it I, It didn't really hit me until I saw that transfer. And I was like, what in the world? And then you start thinking about Kareem Benzema. <laughs> Ballon d'Or. Kareem Benzema. Like Real Madrid, Champions League winner, Kareem Benzema, Sadio Mane in his prime, arguably. You can go back even more. Ruben Neves. I mean, there's all yeah. these players that are going over there for massive, massive amounts of money. And another thing I noticed, which other people might not be noticing, they've only gone to five teams. All the, the ones you've heard about, all the transfers you heard about have only gone to five teams in the league. There's not only five teams in the league. I think there's... 17 or 18 or something like that. So that's just weird. So it's not like the whole league is benefiting. Not all the owners of those teams are, are like spending cash, right? Like, like crazy. So I just don't know what the angle is. I, I don't understand it because like, imagine if an MLS team came in and wanted to, wanted to buy Ruben Neves, 
That would never happen. Imagine them trying to buy Kareem Benzema or Sadio Mane right now. That would never happen. That might not happen in 10 years. And MLS is on a skyrocket trajectory, hopefully. Um, yeah, I just, I don't really understand. I don't really understand. I mean, I know it's money, but now it's just stupid. It's just stupid amount of money. It is just an absolute crazy amount of money that we can't really understand. And it's not this, I'm changing my life with this amount of money. You've been on a million pounds a week. Like you, you aren't, you will be completely fine for the next four or five generations. Like you could spend a million dollars every day if you wanted to, and you still wouldn't run out. Like, so what, what is it? What is it? I think, um, what I eventually think will happen is this Super League is going to come through the Saudis. They're going to propose it. There's going to be a lot of money backed, a lot of TV deals, and we will see another another attempt to make a league separate from the Champions League where maybe it's a world league, you know, something like that. The MLS could get involved. That'd be absolutely crazy. But where it's, it's attracting all of these teams from all over the world, right? bigger than just Europe. So I don't know, man, it's, it's going to be a weird ride. It it's offsetting to me personally, but yeah, I'm just still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure it out. I don't know. Yeah. I just want to close things out a little bit, but this, the domino effect, it feels like on so many different levels, you talk about Sheik Mansour coming back in what 2012 buying Manchester city, him just introducing so much money to that club, the repercussions of that happening and you start to think about the back end of the still being on the pandemic financially of all these teams and leagues that still have not recovered from the pandemic. You look at the likes of Barcelona, the Liga as a whole, Syria as a whole. These leagues are still grappling with the effects of the pandemic and still trying to get fans back in stadiums and making money and being profitable. And so, yeah, when a team comes in willing to offer buku amount of money for players that, like you mentioned, most are past their 30s and um, may not be great long-term investments, it's hard to say no to a quick influx of cash. And not even to mention all the ramifications, in, including financial fair play, um, teams that we've mentioned like Chelsea and Newcastle, what are they doing to potentially be skirting um, these FFP regulations to help improve their own financial standing in the Premier League specifically? Um, it is crazy. It's. I don't think it's like I already said, it's not healthy. It's going to be crazy i don't think you're far off brandon with the whole super league idea i think that's certainly coming i would probably guarantee almost in less than three years we'll see some big ramp up but it's interesting it's interesting and this summer certainly has shown that they are not messing around they do want to build this league into something special christiana already had his quote talking about how when i came the rest would come showing his hubris certainly um he got humiliated in those, some of those friendlies he got to play in this summer <laughs> Uh, the most notable name that was involved with those transfer rumors was Kylian Mbappe. He's involved in a transfer saga of his own. Perhaps the sport's most sought-after player currently is vying for a move out of Paris. Mbappe is still only 24 years old and has just one year left on his contract with the club that has tried all it can do to win a Champions League with their superstar. But in all they're trying, they have fallen short time and time again, even losing a final in the COVID year to Germany's Bayern Munich. So what has kicked off Mbappe's march out of Paris? Well, the aforementioned failure to secure a Champions League title is one thing, um, but it's also a very well-known of the player's mutual fondness between him 
and the European Kings, Real Madrid. Mbappe has dreamed of playing at the Bernabeu since he's a little kid. And we all know, we've talked about him many, many a times here on the support section, is Florentino Perez at the helm of manager of Real Madrid. Um, we know he will do whatever kind of meddling it takes to secure a prize, especially one as good as Kylian Mbappe, even if that means crossing boundaries to pester PSG. We've already talked about, or seen PSG this week, uh, talk about how they're going to try and sue Real Madrid in any way they can, potentially for the meddling that they've already done. Um, we'll see if any of that comes to fruition. But alongside Madrid's involvement was the new fish in the sea, Saudi Arabia. Their offer that they came into was close to in total, when it finished at the end of the day, to be $1 billion. Al-Halal offered a 300 million euro uh, proposed transfer to PSG. In addition to this, they were prepared to offer Mbappe a salary package of 700 million euros for how long? One year, one year, 700 million euros, which would be incredible. Um, and afterwards, if it's just for one year, that pretty much would be free for him to assume to take a position at Real Madrid if he so wished. Well, luckily, in some sort of weird kind of redeeming way, <laughs> Kylian Mbappe actually sort of laughed this offer off. He had a cute little interaction with Giannis Antetokounmpo where he just sent a lot of crying, laughing emojis to Giannis saying, hey, I'll go to uh, Saudi Arabia if they want me to for that much money. Um, but he sort of made it clear that he wants to play in the top cop- top competitions like the Champions League um, for his foreseeable future, wanting to stay in Europe specifically. So that brings me a question to you guys. From the view of the panel, do we think Mbappe is going to be a team player for Paris Saint-Germain and play this season? Do we think he's just going to pray PSG, sell him to Madrid ASAP this season? Or do we think he'll be a holdout and run out his contract by sitting out the whole year, despite having the Euros and the Olympics coming up, which will be in France? He might even be a player that might be playing in those Olympics, representing his home country. Brandon, I'll start with you. Where do you land on the Mbappe spectrum right now? This whole thing's been absolutely crazy. I think the understanding was like, I think he only signed a two-year deal with an option for himself, I believe, if he wanted to stay in PSG. So like the writing was already on the wall that after this contract, he's probably not going to stay or going to resign. And I think he's been open and honest about that. So that's good for him. Like he's sort of just like, yeah, I'm going to go to Real Madrid after this contract's up. Unless like there's a way for you to convince me, but it's going to be very, very hard for PSG to convince me to not chase my dreams. I'm the best player in the world. Um, so uh, he's going to play this season. I, st- I still think he'll play. I don't think he'll sit out. Um, but now PSG has turned things sour with them him, them trying to sell him, right? So like, oh, wait, you're not going to re-sign even though we thought you would, even though no one thought he would? <laughs> oh, wait, we're going to try to sell you to Saudi Arabia. Um, so I don't know where those tensions i mean there's definitely a lot of tension there but i think mbappe was definitely down to play he didn't say anything different and then all this stuff started happening so now it's thrown everything in the mix um i expect him to play he's too good too young to just really sit out um especially if he wants to keep chasing those numbers of of the likes of cristiano ronaldo and messi etc um yeah i think PSG's gonna get rid of them they'll have them for the year and then he'll go on a free unfortunately for them steve what do you think yeah um short answer is i think the same thing i think he's going to stay at psg for the entire year i do think he'll play um he he wouldn't 
he would not just sit out. Um, so he he'll play the whole year with PSG. Um, and I believe that he'll leave on a free at the end. I don't think he's going to resign with PSG. And the biggest thing to take away here is how poorly run PSG is. Oh my God. Um, like Brandon said, we all knew the writing was on the wall, but it's, it's, it's like, no, everything's going to work out. He'll stay, right? He'll stay. He wants to be with me. Um, and it's the guy just, it's Mbappe just telling him like, Hey, like, I'm giving you these years. He's been at PSG, not for a season or two. He's been there for the past, what, four or five? Um, and so since joining from Monaco, it's he's not a well-kept secret. He's not a, a Kamavenga transfer to Real Madrid or whatever it is. Like Everybody knows he's the best player in the world. He wants to win Champions League. You've done nothing to convince him that that's going to happen in Paris. So why would you expect anything else? Um yeah, I, PSG is run by a bunch of clowns. Love Mauricio Pochettino. You thought you were going to win the Champions League with him? And just let's get Messi and Neymar and Bappe. It'll work out. No, anyways. Uh, I see it potentially. I'll go a little bit different than Brandon, though, as far as where he'll end. I could potentially see him getting sold in January. It'd be crazy, but I could see PSG taking like 70 million, 60 million euros from Real Madrid, maybe by then. Um, if Real Madrid are looking strong in Champions League, like if they can add Mbappe and win the Champions League, probably way off prize money through UEFA and all of that kind of jazz. I I mean, I don't think it's impossible for him to be sold in, in January. So. Um, so we'll see. I don't. I mean, I know there's rumors about other teams, um, Chelsea, whatever, Bayern, all that kind of stuff. But I don't think Chelsea. Maybe I don't think Chelsea. I hope not Chelsea as a Tottenham fan. I pray not Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I think there's a chance for him to leave in January. Who knows? There comes to a point with the UEFA payouts of advancing in Champions League is so much money. Why not try and just pay the money to get him early? If I'm Real Madrid, Florentine Perez, so. You're also showing the player that you value him a lot, that you'll even spend money, even though you could probably get me for free. You'll spend money on me to win. That's maybe another marketing move to sign him to a long-term deal. I don't know. But if I had to bet money on the situation of how it would turn out, he stays at PSG the whole year and just leaves for free. Yeah, I think it'll probably play out similar to that Harry Kane situation in 2021, where he'll probably miss the first two games three games um especially he's been not on the i'm not on the tour with the team i'm going to japan and then across asia um he hasn't played at all under the new head coach luis enrique um see i think he'll definitely miss probably a couple of games at the beginning come back play full season and i think at the end he'll just walk away for free next summer and it'll be florentino perez's dream come true he only have to waste 100 plus million dollars on this starlet from paris so we'll see. I think the links to the Premier League will be hard to come by. Chelsea obviously have the money to do it, but do they have the financial fair play uh, availability? I'm not sure. You look at someone like Tottenham and you, you know, in their wildest dreams maybe, um, but probably not the most viable considering Mbappe's wages and his also interest on his side to even go to a team like that. So it probably, I think, just comes down to leaving Natalie on Madrid, waiting, um, We'll see. I don't think he'll be a Paris player, though, come 
August of 2024. As I mentioned, Tottenham, Harry Kane has also been linked to a move away from the club. Bayern Munich have been making headlines this summer as they attempt to pry Harry Kane away from the white-knuckled clutches of Tottenham's chairman, Daniel Levy, who is famously a tough negotiator. Levy has laid out behind closed doors that he is not looking to sell Harry Kane, um, but would consider a deal for the striker if a minimum £100 million offer is to be made. So far, Bayern have made a €95 million Euro ploy, but when converted to pounds, that's still £18 million short of Tottenham's evaluation of their star homegrown striker. So Spurs will also insist including um, on any kind of deal that's made on a buyback clause should he return to the Premier League in a later deal. But it's been no secret of Bayern's interest that they've been making it a public affair amongst their high-ranked officials and German media, including when a build Gosh. reporter flew all the way out from Germany to Perth on Tottenham's tour um, with a Harry Kane Bayern jersey and asked the players about the players' move to the club directly to Spurs' new manager, Ange Postacoglu. Um, and took it in stride and basically said, you came all this way for that, mate. Um, and then, of course, that highly inappropriate gesture for any journalist to do um, has made that journalist banned for participating in any future Tottenham press events. So it has been a whole debacle, a show of infringement from the German media. Bayern um, themselves have been really, really pressing upon Tottenham. So the question is, what will happen with Kane? The English captain's contract runs out at the end of the upcoming season. Much like Mbappe, um, it will no doubt be keeping any and all options open for himself if he isn't sold this summer to the German Giants. Kane is obviously planning to stay at Tottenham if no agreement is made while the season starts. He wants to make sure he's settled before any kind of um, games begin to be played. Um, we're less than two weeks away from that, so things really have to get moving if a deal is to get done. Uh, but Tottenham, on the flip side, are not setting a deadline at all on his future. They might wait it out now. They might go all the way to the end of the next season um, when they could potentially start any sort of new contract negotiations to stay in North London. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what Harry Kane decides. He can stay and be the hero in North London, try and win a trophy, but most notably his record of Alan Shearer's Premier League goal record is not so far away. He could potentially get to that within two seasons, three, if he stays healthy. Um, we'll see, guys. It's It's really playing out in an interesting way. The Man City won two years ago, felt like it was also on the verge of happening, but he stayed, and now here we are two years later. Um, Steven, you're the Tottenham lad here. How do you assess the situation as it's playing out right now in front of our eyes? Um, typical. Uh, <laughs> with Harry Kane, I feel like it's been a question over this player's future over the past five years. We've been talking about Harry Kane, right? Um, but, I mean, I think he's – the. The benefit that Tottenham has is that Harry Kane is one of the most professional footballers on the planet right now. Um, he will give everything to his club, even though he might want to move away and win trophies. Um, congrats on winning the Asian uh, preseason tour Tiger Cup, Harry Kane. Uh, so, you know, you got a trophy at Tottenham. Might as well stay. It's uh, two now. But yeah, uh, all jokes. Yeah, it was the Audi Cup before. So all, all jokes aside... Um, yeah, if I'm Harry Kane, I'm I'm staying at Tottenham, um, and not even for the romantic part of it of like finishing out your contract with Spurs and all that stuff. But I'm staying at Tottenham. But then I can go wherever I want. I can stay in the Premier League. I can go to Real Madrid. I can go to Barcelona, Atletico, Bayern, wherever you want to go in the world. Um, and that's what I would do if I was Harry Kane. You have your options. Or, hell, 
you get to see what Tottenham's about. What if Tottenham – they won't. What if Tottenham goes out and buys all these players um, in January? You find yourselves in the Champions League, and you get conned in of a Champions League push again. Like, if you want, you can stay at Tottenham if your feelings change. I don't know. I mean, these players have – Epiphany moments. Look at Jamie Vardy after winning the Premier League with Leicester. He had his choice to go wherever he wanted, but committed staying at Leicester. Um, Harry Kane, a little bit more high profile of a player, obviously. Um, but the world's your oyster if you wait. Um, and it's one more season. Uh, I know he keeps getting told that, but on paper, brother not being your agent, there's one more season that you are committed to playing at Tottenham, and then you can choose your venture. So uh, coming off a 30-goal performance, that's pretty incredible of the last Premier League um, season just behind Erling Holland. So, yeah, I mean, you're comfortable. You can really start planning your future ahead uh, rather than am I going to be playing in Germany in a month? Like that's that'd be stressful to me as a player. I mean, I know these guys are professionals, but you have to take into account so many of these culture shock things, him having children, moving your family over there. So it's whatever he wants to do. But if I were him, I would stay. I could see him staying at Tottenham, scoring a lot of goals, and hopefully getting Tottenham back into Europe. What's the best thing for Tottenham to do right now, Brandon? Yeah, I think there's two sides to it. It's what's best for Harry Kane, what's best for Tottenham. Um, Harry Kane, I think it is to stay. Um, finish your contract, no bad things, no bad, you know, blood between Spurs fans and whatnot. Um, and then you could stay in the premier league and go win something with a premier league giant and probably eventually break the goal, like the scoring record like that. That is a perfect case scenario for Harry Kane. I think like you asked for Tottenham, I don't know why they're not selling him. Let's be real, guys. Tottenham is not going to make Champions League this year. They are just not. It, it would be very difficult. And the value that Harry Kane brings, and if you think he's the reason that you'll make top four, could be top five, but top four, I sort of understand 90 million euros is a lot of money for a player on the last year of his contract. That is a lot of money that Tottenham could use as a team and rebuild around a new manager, a new system. Hopefully, Postacoglu will be there for the foreseeable future, maybe three, four years. That's what, that's what you're hoping, right? Harry Kane's not going to be. Sell him, pocket the cash while you can. You got him all the way to the end. You can cash out. And maybe the best part about it all, he's not staying in the league, which Daniel Levy would love. So I don't know what the issue is, completely honest, just from like a outsider point of view. Like, I think Harry Kane would be more upset with the move than than Tottenham would be with selling him. So I, I don't understand it all. Cole, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a catch-22. You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, you know, you lose the best striker in the Premier League, potentially, um, and Harry Kane to a team that's far off in the land. Um, you're going to get good money for him, but if he stays and he leaves next year, you know, what kind of legacy is he leaving? I think that if he leaves, you still have Brazil's number nine on your team. That's an encouraging thought. Um, let's just say you get the 90 million pounds. You get close to the 100 you want. You get 90 at the end of the day. 
that potentially allows you, allows you to sign a $65, $70 million defender um, that you can replace Eric Dyer with, um, pair alongside Christian Romero, and that still leaves you money that you probably already going to spend anyways, throw in $25, 30000000 million from the Harry Kane deal and get another midfielder or attacker, whatever you want to do. Another defender, it doesn't matter. You can reshape um, the team with that money. Right. And again, you still have Sonny. You still have Richarlison. You still have Kulisevsky, who you just got on a permanent deal this summer as well. Um, you still have attacking options, even without Harry Kane. You brought in James Madison. Like That's still a great Premier League lineup. And if you add it on the defensive side, which if you think that's your biggest weakness, then yeah, you actually might have a formula to something to succeed with, um, especially under a new attacking style of football. So yeah, I, I think Tottenham's in a case where I think you can really go either way. I think Daniel Levy is smart. I think a lot of people will slander him for all the different things he has done and hasn't done. Um, but this reminds me a lot of 2013 with Gareth Bale. Um, Real Madrid was knocking on the door. Gareth Bale was looking for trophies, was looking for something new. And, you know, even then Tottenham fans still weren't sure if he was going to leave. And it came down to August. It came down to those last weeks of the, of the transfer deadline. The deal got done. And he set a new record for a player being sold. So I don't think we'll see a new record sold, but I think Harry Kane probably is above 50% going to get dealt before the deadline, if I had to say that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what actually ends up happening at the end of the day. Um, I know Tottenham fans are on the edge of our seats and hoping that whatever happens, um, we can trust our leadership that's the best for the club moving forward, especially for these next year, year two years, um, trying to get back to Champions League contention. But crazy, crazy, crazy. Real, On to the, real uh, quick, real quick. Ahead. We'll finish real quick. Uh, so another thing to answer your question of why they're not selling them, Brand, selling him, Brandon, is Todd had finished eighth last season with a 30-goal season by Harry Kane. Like, that's... Yeah. That's scary. I, I honestly think they're terrified of what will happen. New goalie, like Christian Romero, like I, you can look back on our other videos to see me rant about Tottenham. But uh, without Harry Kane, like how good is this team? Where do they finish? It's probably too late now in the summer to actually go out and buy that defender like Cole's talking about. You have to wait till January. January, you could be so bad off. Like Tottenham finished it last season terribly. You could not have the coach you just hired, not have your star striker, and you could have like riots and protests outside of like Hotspur Lane. Like that's just a reality of, and it's I don't think it'll like that's a possibility. That's like a real possibility. Like Richarlison scored a goal last year, just one, um, yeah. and so I think there's just that that trade off of actually it's worth to let Harry Kane go for free to give us more time in our front office to like figure out what we're doing, um, which is not encouraging. That's kind of my like perception of why they wouldn't sell him. But what is this Tottenham team without Harry Kane? You know, you just said like, they're not making champions league, even with Harry Kane, like, right. Like you were like, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, there's, right? There's a lot of really good teams in the league there's, this year. It's going to be difficult with how Arsenal spent, Liverpool spent, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, like Newcastle. Like the list goes on. That's six Villa. That's six teams right there. Aston Villa. Like where does that leave Tottenham? And I think like it's come to a point of desperation of why Tottenham doesn't want to sell Harry Kane. Of They can't. They can't afford to. They've waited too long. And at the end of the day, I think they're just going to hope that they're throwing toilet paper up at the ceiling and that it sticks of, mm -hmm. hey, 
maybe you want to stay. We'll give you 800,000 pounds a week. How about that? Uh, and then maybe that's enticing enough. We've talked about how many talks staying at top. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But I'll, I'll finish up. But I think it's a desperation thing for Tottenham as opposed to what what will they be if they let him walk? And I don't want to find out. So, yeah, I think I think that's a scarier sign of your front office not being prepared to sell players. I don't know. We can get it. We could talk about Tottenham for an hour. <laughs> next week, next week. Uh, so I'll leave it there. But I think it, that's scary that Daniel Levy and the whole board aren't ready to sell a player for a really good fee because they're not prepared to. That's not a good sign. So I don't know. I don't yeah. know. What's, what's scarier to you, <laughs> I guess? <laughs> Desperation or the front office not being prepared? So, And that's the conversations being had, I think, behind closed doors even between Tottenham fans is where are we landing right now with our front office? Is it in Levy we trust or is it still Levy out, Enik out, um, new ownership needs to come in. But I, even I have opinions on that we could talk about um, for a long time. But we'll get to that probably in our Premier League preview. We know Libby, maybe a little bit more um, about the Harry Kane situation and where Tottenham lands and all that. Um, a couple last notes on the transfer side of things. Um, U.S. mentioned national team players are in new places. Um, McKinney goes back to Juventus um, from Leeds on from that loan. Tim Weah moved from Lille to Juventus for $13.5 million. Uh, Christian Pulisic made his move from Chelsea to AC Milan for $22 million. Um, Eunice Musa to AC Milan from Valencia for $20 million. A big move for him. Um, Valencia had a rough season in Spain. Uh, Balogun, our newest guy, um, he has been rumored with Inter Milan. Inter is saying he's too expensive. Um, but Arsenal are trying to offload him. Um, he's not quite going to contribute in this new Arsenal side, it looks like. So he is looking for a move. Brendan Aronson made the move from Germany, or from England to Germany to Union Berlin. And Ricardo Pepe signing for the Dutch club PSB from Augsburg for $9.8 million. So some good moves for these guys. Um, briefly, just thumbs up. We're thinking that these guys are making good moves. We're thinking, how are we thinking real quick? Quick answers. I think I'm moving. To, I think I'm moving to Italy just to watch these guys play. What do you think? <laughs> my favorite Paramount plus will be our hero. Yeah, my favorite's the Brendan Aronson move. I think he's going to do really well there. I'm excited to see him at Union Berlin. What a fun team too. I think we've kind of seen their rise happen so quickly. Um, they finished, I think, what third this year in the Bundesliga. Um, really, really fun stuff to see, especially when Hertha has been going the complete opposite direction as Union Berlin. Scheiße. Um, yeah. <laughs> to say the least, it is certainly looking like that. Um, well, also domestically, we have the League's Cup going on. Um, this is 47 clubs total, 29 MLS teams, 18 Liga Mackey teams um, playing in a new tournament that's designed to include the U.S. and Mexican teams. Um, looking through the groups real quick, seven Liga MX teams top their group, including Tigres, Monterey, Leon, and Pumas. Um, notable MLS leaders, Brandon, your Columbus crew over Club America and St. Louis, Chicago Fire over Minnesota and Puebla, Orlando over Houston Dynamo and Santos Laguna, and then Philly, Sensi, Miami, also topping their groups. Which brings us to our biggest point I want to make real quick about MLS and the League's Cup is Barcelona's retirement home has been built up in Inter-Miami. Tata Martino, the old coach, has been hired by Inter-Miami. Of course, bringing in the biggest signing in MLS history, Lionel Messi, World Cup winner, Argentina legend, Barcelona legend, to say the least. Um, and then also then bringing in his good friend Sergio Busquets on a free signing. Now Jordi Alba on a free signing. And we've already seen Messi named as the captain of this team. They topped the group with two wins against Cruz Azul and our Atlanta United in a 4-0 win. 
this team looks like they are going to go on a run. And a quick brief conversation I want to have is, is Messi's impact enough to see this Miami team actually win and go on and do something this season? What do you guys think? Uh, they could win the League's Cup. I'll just say that. Uh, it's a tournament, first se- season. Messi's obviously made a huge impact already. Um, Miami is firing all, on all cylinders, and I'm excited to see when they play their first away game what happens. Messi on the road is going to be interesting to watch, so I'm, I'm excited to see what happens there. Um, they'll probably fly through, though. I, I think they're going to be good. The season, however, that's going to be – like the MLS season, that's going to be a different story, but I think they could win the League's Cup. Steve, new thoughts on uh, Miami? Yeah, they're good. Uh, Messi's really good. <laughs> uh but uh, all kidding aside, I I think if even other players like Joseph Martinez, like if he gets an ounce, just an ounce back of of any form he had with Atlanta United, like I mean, you got Messi scoring all the goals, Busquets, Alba, all these other players in the field. This guy has an embarrassment of riches behind him. He better start scoring goals. So they're gonna find somebody who will. Hopefully, that's the fire under his butt. I want to see Miami do well, and I think they'll do well. I think they'll make it run in the playoffs. I don't think they'll win the MLS, to Brandon's point, but I think the the cup tournament style of League's Cup fits them very nicely as well. Yeah, they have a long way to claw back into getting to contention in the Eastern Conference. Last When he arrived in Miami, they were last in the Eastern Conference. Um, I just wanted to have a quick conversation. I know we're talking for a while, but uh, thoughts on Miami even getting all these players on one team when we think about MLS's rules financially, how do we see us letting it happen? Is this, are we cool with this or not cool with this? Basically what I'm getting to. I'm cool with it. I think we got our, I think we got our thoughts last episode. So Steve, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I'm cool with it. Uh, I mean, we've seen Miami break the rules financially before. Uh, it's, it's with these free transfers is what it is. That's what happened in placement with Matweedy, right? It's like, is a player actually coming for free or are they getting money on the side or are the others incentives that are kind of going underneath the table? So if Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba literally want to play with Lionel Messi for fun, like that's great. Like, I, I love that. That's so cool. I think that's draw to a club, David Beckham. Like this has always been his goal to attract talent like this. And yeah, go out and sign Messi to this insanely lucrative deal. Go out and spend money. Like we talked about the Saudis going out and getting all these crazy players. Like take take the financial wheels off a little bit, Lee. Like the restraints off a little bit. Let Atlanta United be linked to, I don't know, like a Kareem Benzema in two years or, or Ronaldo next year. I don't know. So I think there's balance. You need to have rules set in place, um, firm rules, strict rules, like knowing the do's and the don'ts so there's no room for – any messiness <laughs> uh but <laughs> i really i i want to see good players playing mls i think it's cool i think it's fun i like watching zlatan ibrahimovic scoring a volley from 40 yards away i like that uh and i think if it brings a better standard of play out of the typical prototypical um mls player i think it's a good thing like, I think it's a good thing for the Miami uh, Academy players to look around and see David Beckham, Tata Martino, Jordi Alba, Busquets, and Messi. I think that's a good thing. Um, so, until it's not a good thing. So, but anyways, that's what I think. I'm excited. I, I think it's awesome that Miami um, has all that talent. So, hopefully, MLS, as they get 
more eyes on the league from the world, just how Messi will attract those eyes, more money can come in, and we can start seeing bigger games like El Trafico at the Rose Bowl or more marketing efforts from the MLS to get bigger. Uh, maybe MLS teams playing in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like what? I don't know. So let's just see where this marketing venture can lie for the MLS to get some more eyes on the league. I think it's a good thing though, overall. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's time for the MLS just in general, kind of loosen those rules and allow other teams to get in on the party spending financially. Um, as we talk, Inter-Miami, they'll be playing Wednesday night against Orlando City, a Florida-Florida matchup in the League's Cup. Um, so other games to look at. You got the New York Rebels playing New York City. Um, and then, let me think, Cincinnati-Nashville. And then um, those are probably the best ones to be looking out for in the League's Cup in the round of 32. But, man, guys, that was a great episode to be back on. Uh, so good to have all of our supporters back together. If you made this far, we're grateful to have you back with us um, to get things back in full swing, especially as we approach the transfer deadline, the Premier League, the knockout stage of the Women's World Cup. We'll have it all for you. Excited to have previews in abundance um, for you guys to chew on. But today, it has been Cole Carter. Um, it has been Brandon Pasek and Stephen Curl. Leave a like, leave a comment, subscribe if you haven't already. Everybody, enjoy your week watching all kinds of soccer here, there, and in between. We'll see you guys in the next one. Until then, peace out. See ya.